This is the Psychomic Podcast, the podcast from the Ecology, Evolution, and Behavior Program at Michigan State, where we talk about uh, science and comics with weep researchers. I'm your host, Bruna. The artist in the house is Ailey. Hi, Ailey. Hello. And together, we are going to explore how organisms are dealing with the rapid changes that we humans are causing in the planet in this crazy, amazing, but also destructive era that is the Anthropocene. So spring is here in Michigan, and with spring starts the tick season. Uh, about 50,000 cases of various diseases are linked to tick bites, and they're reported by the CDC each year. Some are very rare, and there are only a handful of cases countrywide, but others, like Lyme disease, are extremely common, with most cases concentrated in regions where the black leg tick thrives. And to celebrate tick season, or rather to bring some awareness to it, we're going to be talking today to PhD student and tick researcher Michelle Volk. Michelle works with Dr. Jean Sal, uh, I guess... I would say, like, Master Michelle works with Dr. Jinsaw in the Department of Fisheries and Wildlife, and her research investigates the distribution and genetics of ticks and tick-borne pathogens in Michigan. Michelle is also a member of the EEB program, and she's in the third year of her PhD. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for being here with Ailey and I. And uh, coincidentally enough, you two are housemates. Yes, we are. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so when you were looking for housemates, uh, uh, Michelle, I, I think like Ailey moved in like later. How do you like explain to people like what you do? Like you put your ad in like Facebook marketplace and then you have to tell a little bit about yourself. How do you like introduce like ticks in the equation? <laughs> I don't usually put that I study ticks on housing ads. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I didn't put that on the one that you found. Um, but with other Eve grad students, we all study something weird and sometimes gross. So people are usually okay with it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, yeah, we are easy to relate yeah. in like that sense. Yeah. So for the like average EB student, how would you like describe the research that you do? Um, yeah, so I work on ticks and tick-borne diseases, and specifically the black-legged tick, which is the primary vector of Lyme disease in North America. Um, and then I also work on Borrelia burgdorferi, which is the bacteria that causes Lyme disease here. Um, so I do both the ecology and genetics of the tick and the pathogen. Um, and my lab also does a lot of the surveillance work for the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. So we do a lot of um, tick collecting throughout the state as well. Wow, interesting and also very like important work. And I guess you'll like explain a little bit what you do. So I'm gonna like explain a little bit to you what we are doing here today. So they say that like a picture is worth a thousand words. So today, while we are chatting about science and ticks, Ailey will be live illustrating a comic of your research. So drawing some ticks. That's right. Yeah. I, I guess drawing ticks is good because you can do it through like scale. <laughs> I mean, the tiny ones that are just like the size of like a poppy seed should be like easy to put on paper. <laughs> just like a dot. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll be trying to do that. So like Ailey, feel free to ask us for more details for your like beautiful illustrations. And we will, yeah, try to to guide you in this uh, comic, yeah, designing experience. Yeah, Michelle's been explaining the the parts of a tick. So I feel like I'm starting to 
get the concept here. Okay, yeah, I guess that's like really useful, not only to like illustrating the ticks in your art, but also like to find like a tick in like the forest or hopefully not in your leg. Like what is like the tick 101 like description, Michelle? Like if I see an insect in my, like in my leg, how do I know it's a tick or not? Um, well, ticks have eight legs and insects have six. So that would be your first indicator. Um, if you have an arthropod that is buried in your skin, it's most likely going to be a tick if you, if you get it around here. Um, we try to um, educate people on the different types of ticks because they look different um, because the black-legged ticks are the only ones that can cause Lyme disease. So um, dog ticks are also very common here. Um, and they don't cause any disease here. They cause disease elsewhere in the U.S. But, um, for instance, if you get a dog tick on you, you don't need to go to the doctor for antibiotics, which is important to, to not have to do that if you don't need to. Yeah. Yeah. How many species of ticks are around Michigan, like roughly? Um, we have three main species, most common, which is the black-legged tick, dog tick, and then the lone star tick, which is newly invading through the southwest. Um, and then there are several other species of ticks that do not parasitize humans. So you're much more less likely to see them. But um, yeah, we have some other ones too. Oh, lucky for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, are all the ticks that like can uh, bite humans, do they all have like a different like disease associated that maybe they can transmit? Um, not all of them. Like the, the dog tick can transmit um, Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Um, and that is in the um, kind of southwest, um, mid-south uh, portion of the U.S. Um, and uh, that's, it's very rare, very rare here. Um, but they're able to transmit that. Um, the Lone Star Tick can cause the, the uh, quote-unquote red meat allergy, if you've heard of that, which is um, an allergic reaction to mammalian proteins. Um, the black lady Tick can cause... Uh, can transmit several other pathogens just besides Lyme disease. Um, but aside from that, those are, um, you know, the black-legged tick is the one that can can cause the most problems. Okay, yeah. And, like, as someone that works with ticks, like, I have to ask you, like, have you ever got, like, Lyme disease or something else? Um, no, I've never gotten Lyme disease. Um, I've actually only ever had two ticks attached to me. Um, wow. which I think is pretty good. I've been, I guess, doing tick research for about five years. Um, but we are very aware of tick prevention and we take it very seriously. So, um, yeah, I've never had, never had a problem with them. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And how does one like develop a love for ticks and like an interest <laughs> in studying ticks? Um, yeah, I, um, Took a, a class in college that was kind of a case study of Lyme disease in New York, which is, um, Dutchess County, New York, is the kind of the epicenter of Lyme disease, and it uh, originated in the um, Northeast U.S. Um, yeah, so I took a class, and I just found it very interesting. Um, the field I work in is called disease ecology, <laughs> so it's um, literally the ecology of disease. So it's um, very complex systems that we get to study, and um, I've always been very interested in infectious diseases and um when you have a vector-borne disease, you have the the host, the vector, and the pathogen, which all have completely different um, ecologies and life cycles and um, biology. So um, I just think it's it's one of the most interesting fields, especially if you're interested in in disease. Yeah, and like even though like I know you work with more the like genetic and like ecological side of things, uh, just like outreach and like education seems like a huge part 
of the job too and very important. So do you get just like a lot of like family members and like friends sending you like take pictures and yeah, like asking for like a diagnose? Um, yeah, I've, I've, people have sent me pictures before um, and they're often like very blurry because it's hard to take a, a picture of a small tick. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can advise people on what they do, but we're, we're very careful, very careful to never give out medical advice to anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's wise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I guess like when when you're like in the field, like what exactly you do, like you just like lay down in the ground, <laughs> you wait for the ticks to crawl on you. Um, we um, use something called a drag cloth for it's called drag sampling. Um, so it's a uh, meter squared piece of corduroy, or people use other fabrics as well, um, that's white colored, and we drag that through the leaf litter, and any ticks that are there that are out looking for a host will attach to it, um, thinking that it's a host. Um, and then we are able to collect the ticks off of that. So, And we either um, will preserve them for future testing, or sometimes we take them alive if we're um, yeah, starting colonies or doing some kind of behavioral research with them. Oh, nice. Yeah. How, how does the drawing of that sampling method is coming out, <laughs> Ailey? Oh, I've got the... Oh, I was um, I was actually wondering, like, if you were to paint a picture, like, how would you tell the difference between the different species of ticks? Like, how would you tell if you're looking at a dog tick or black-legged tick? Uh, yeah, I guess um, explaining that verbally, the, the dog ticks are always going to be bigger than the black-legged ticks. Mm -hmm. um, the dog ticks are um, colored differently. Um, Sometimes they have a, uh, I've heard it described as a chevron pattern <laughs> on their backs. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, the black-legged ticks, the females, are the ones that are reddish-orange that are pretty distinct. Um, if you have a very, very tiny tick that's the size of a poppy seed on you, that's going to be a black-legged tick nymph. Um, the dog tick nymphs don't really parasitize humans, so you're, um, it's likely that it's not one of them. Um, yeah, and there are other morphological characteristics that we can use to distinguish species, but those are those are kind of the main ones. The uh, bigger ticks are dog ticks, smaller ticks, redder ticks are black-legged ticks. Wow, all types of ticks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like, uh, what's like the the life cycle of like the black-legged tick? Because I know it can like it has to have like different hosts, right, mm -hmm. to like complete the life cycle. Yeah, so it's a um, three-host tick, so it'll take three blood meals throughout its life. Um, and it is a generalist, so it can feed on a lot of different hosts. Um, the bacteria is also a generalist, so it makes it um, very easy to persist in the environment when you have so many hosts supplying um, oh. yeah, food and environments for both of them. Um, but the um, larva will hatch in the late summer. Um, they will take a blood meal um, and molt into a nymph. And then those nymphs will overwinter, so they they spend the winter. Um, it's in it's called diapause, which is kind of similar to hibernation. Um, the nymphs will emerge in the early summer. They will take a blood meal as well. Um, they will molt into an adult, um, and the adults are active in the late fall slash early winter, and then the early spring as well. Um, and then the females are the ones that take a blood meal as an adult, and they need the blood meal to be able to lay eggs. Um, the males do not need a blood meal uh, because they don't need the, the extra energy for, for egg laying. 
Oh, wow. And so uh, are those adults that are the ones like on top of the sticks with their like little arms up trying to like grab people? Yep. Yeah, that's called questing. Questing. Yeah, it's a very dramatic word, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they'll climb up to um, vegetation. The adults will climb a lot higher than the nymphs will. The nymphs pretty much stay in the leaf litter. Um, but they will put their front legs out and um, they'll sense for heat or carbon dioxide um, and just wait for a host to come past them they're they're passive hunters so they don't really go after anything okay yeah that's interesting and that make like that reminds me of those like ants that get like parasitized by fungi and become like zombie ants and mm -hmm. they just like climb very high to like disperse all the mm -hmm. spores yeah <laughs> so um yeah do you know if like the, the Lyme disease like manipulates the behavior of the ticks or in like any way like is a tick with like Lyme more like likely to try to like find a human fast? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I'm actually part of a grant right now that's researching that. Um, so the question is whether or not the bacteria increases the fitness of the tick. So the tick is more likely to find a host and be able to reproduce and allow the bacteria to persist. Um, so we have some behavioral experiments we're doing this summer, um, uh, testing their questing. So to see if the infected ticks quest higher or quest for longer or can withstand um, lower humidity or higher temperatures, things like that. Wow, that's so interesting because I feel like generally when you have a disease, like the fitness like declines, but not in this case. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I was reading to you that I think it's in California where you have that, I think they're called Western fence lizards, mm -hmm. the ones with the like blue bellies. Mm -hmm. Apparently they're like immune, I think, to Lyme. And for some reason, the ticks like prefer to like, uh, like just feed on that species of lizard, and they can actually become like uninfected. Dan, yeah. So um, there, there is a species of black-legged tick out on the west coast, um, but the prevalence of Lyme disease in humans is very low because of that. Um, so oh, the yeah. the western fence lizards aren't competent for the bacteria, so it's not a competent reservoir to allow the the pathogen to persist. Um, which is cool. It's just an example of um, how the the environment is very, very important in allowing the transmission of these zoonotic pathogens. Wow. So it's mostly like a reservoir thing. That's yeah. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I guess like um, Lyme disease is very common in like the eastern U.S. Um, and like deer can be like a big reservoir of them. So they're they're actually not a reservoir of the bacteria. Oh. They yeah they can't become infected. Um, they're very important. Uh, they're a reproductive host for the ticks. So the ticks need a large mammal like that to reproduce. Um, the ticks actually mate on the deer. So they will, <laughs> the males and females will. It's like the tick bar, like the club. They like both go there to to find um, each other and to mate on the host. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but they're not part of the the transmission cycle. Uh -huh. Wow, that's so interesting. It's yeah, literally like this huge club place yeah. <laughs> where they all go to yeah. meet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it would like controlling like deer populations. You think might help with like decreasing cases of like Lyme disease, or it's just like really hard to make all the connections. Yeah, um, I mean, one deer can hold a lot of ticks, and one female tick can lay thousands of eggs. So. Um, the, the deer population would have to be, you know, dramatically reduced. Um, so uh, eliminating deer really isn't um, one of the uh, tick control methods that are considered. There are other things like um, 
applying uh, a caricides to deer with the um, the four poster um, apparatus where they um, they have the food for the deer and then they have um, it's kind of like when you go through a car wash those <laughs> things at your car yeah. I don't know what they're called but it's they deer would have to go through that and then they would get um, the acaricide applied to them. Wow, yeah. that's so amazing. It's like you get a meal, you get a massage, yeah. <laughs> and you can read <laughs> off all your texts. Wow. <laughs> Please, Ailey, uh, you have you have to you have to draw this. The, the I'm gonna have to get you a wash. picture of that because I probably didn't explain it well enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I guess we're all like uh, talking about like Texas, kind of like the villains of like the story, but if we're thinking like a more like ecological perspective, like, do you think like, oh, if I find a tick on me, like, yep, yeah, just, just kill it. Or like maybe throw the tick back into the wild because it's going to be important <laughs> no, in the grand scheme. I, I would not throw the tick back in. People ask <laughs> if we do like catch and release with the tick. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> absolutely not. No, you can always kill the tick. Um, ticks actually don't play a significant role in the ecosystem. Um, and people get mad when I say things like that because... <laughs> Um, you know, everything in an ecosystem is important, but they're not a significant food source for any animals. Um, I mean, they're small enough that when they um, decompose, they're not, you know, providing that much carbon mm -hmm. for, for the environment. Um, so that that's a, an ongoing debate on whether or not they're actually important and why we can have, um, you know, research on tick eradication. <laughs> yeah. And what eats ticks? Um, yeah, Anything that eats arthropods will eat ticks. Um, mm -hmm. Other arthropods can predate them. Um, things like possums, uh, turkeys, Ooh. chickens, guinea fowl, like anything that, uh, any kind of bird or um, <laughs> a smaller mammal, yeah. predator, medium-sized mammal. Nice. Yeah, I guess for like mammals and like their hands, like can, is there like any edibles that like the ticks like go to feed on them and then they just like grab the tick from like the source and like eat from like their bellies? Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if they use their paws or their maybe possums can do that. I don't know. Uh -huh. Yeah, but um, yeah, uh, some animals can have um, uh, like an immune response to the tick, right? Like if you get mm -hmm. bit by a mosquito, that's an immune response if it swells up and it's itchy, mm -hmm. right? Um, some people have that too. So um, if your if your body reacts to the tick bite, you're more likely to find the tick and pull it off. Um, so it's the th same things with animals, um, like possums will, mm -hmm. they could feel the tick or itch it off and then, um, yeah, they, they can eat it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, again, like surprising that like having a strong reaction, like an allergy to a thing is actually mm -hmm. like advantageous. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and are there like people that are more like vulnerable for like getting like beaten, like if I work on a farm or like if I'm just like like hiking or like are there just ticks hanging out in my backyard? Uh, behaviorally, people that are outdoors more often would be at the highest risk. Um, in like a, a manicured lawn, you're not likely to, to have any ticks there. Um, in terms of whether or not ticks prefer different types of people, that <laughs> hasn't been shown yet. Um, I know with mosquitoes, they have data to support that. And I don't mm -hmm. remember which blood type or whatever it is mosquitoes prefer, but, um, so not with ticks yet. It's, um, you know, more of whether or not you're encountering a tick and you have good tick prevention and you're wearing insect repellent and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and with like land use change and like deforestation, 
because um, ticks have this like complex life cycle that they need like so many hosts. Would those things then maybe like help us to prevent like tick bites? Or do you think like the modified landscapes might have the potential to then like have more ticks and more Lyme disease? Yeah, so um, it actually helps the ticks and the, the bacteria um, because ticks can parasitize anything. So if we end up with um, peri-domestic animals like deer, mice, squirrels, other small mammals, um, the ticks are fine living off of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but the small mammals um, like mice, which are you know very common around human dwellings, are very good reservoirs for the bacteria. So mm-hmm. the more mice there are in the area, if the ticks are feeding on those more than um, other types of animals that might not be competent and allow the transmission to continue, then, um, yeah, rates of, of Lyme disease or the prevalence of Lyme disease in the ticks would be higher in that area. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And I saw too that for your master thesis, you like investigated the effects of like winter climate change uh, in, in uh, the black leg ticked, like survival and also like distribution. So do you think with like global warming, maybe like we're going to be like losing a barrier that like helps us to like control like this disease to you? Yeah, it's likely that climate change isn't playing a huge role in the spread of ticks. It's more habitat change and um, um, hosts that can migrate long distances like birds and deer are Mm -hmm. really helping the ticks spread as well. Um, Just because ticks are, um, I mean, they're very hardy. Um, So uh, even if there's a lot of snow, they can survive pretty well still. Um, Yeah, so uh, it's there's a lot of research into climate change and ticks, but it's probably not going to be, um, yeah, as important as as um, controlling habitat change and and trying to, um, yeah, uh, fix the problem of all the peri-domestic species. I don't think that can really be fixed, but um, the management should be focused there. Okay, yeah. so like winter and snow killing ticks, it's it's a myth. <laughs> Uh, if there isn't a lot of snow and it's a very cold winter, then yeah, sure, they can um, uh, die from low humidity or they can, um, you know, be pierced by ice, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but yeah, I had ticks in northern Maine um, where they're, uh, at this point, I'm sure a few have been found, but when I was there, there um, weren't any reported ticks yet. Um, but yeah, they survived just fine because uh, I mean, Maine got like, several feet of snow like five four to five feet of snow at times um so the ticks are they're very comfy under that wow wow how are the drawings coming Andy? <laughs> i got i got a good amount oh i like your turkey <laughs> thank you <laughs> um trying to think oh i was wondering about uh like what you should do um if you if you do find a tick on you like what's the best practice um, you should remove it. Um, and the, the best way to do it is just with a pair of tweezers. Um, you just want to um, grasp the tick as close to your skin as possible so you can get the whole head out. Um, and then you just pull, pull straight out. And um, uh, then you can uh, keep the tick um, or preserve it to um, bring to a doctor if you're concerned. And hopefully the doctor can identify it or... Um, the health department can identify it for you and kind of advise on whether or not you might want to seek treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess it's a really like important part too of like Lyme prevention to just find a tick like as fast as you can. I forgot 
what's the size of like the window of time that you have like till like the tick like first is in your body then like it bites you and like injects the bacteria yeah it's, so it's usually uh between 48 and 72 hours is when the tick can um infect you with the bacteria so if you do regular tick checks like whenever you get in or <laughs> the the night after um and you find a tick then you're you're fine you don't really need to seek treatment if you get it within a couple of hours um but the tick will, will probably crawl around on you for a while as well before biting because they want to look for a good spot uh -huh. um, that's protected and, and like your, your armpits are a good place for them to be um, or like under your waistband. Um, so uh, you have a little time, but I always I will always check like when I get back at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So just looking at like Ailey's like drawing and thinking about like science and art, like what what role do you think that like art can play in like science and like science communication? I guess that's a tough one because I don't think I've ever seen take art. Take art. <laughs> Have you? Uh, for people that are like very like there are tick stickers you can get and things like that. Um, but there's a really cool painting that I don't remember the name and I could find it and send it to you. Um, representing disease ecology. Mm -hmm. um, so it has all sorts of vectors on it and all sorts of hosts on it. Um, and because everything um, like involves a cycle between a host and a, a pathogen and mm -hmm. including a vector, and sometimes there's an intermediate host and um, a, a dead-end host that can be infected and can't transmit. Um, so it, it's, you know, kind of Beautiful is probably the wrong word. The painting itself is, is very beautiful, but the complexity is really interesting. Um, and I think visually seeing that can really get the message across to really help you appreciate like how complex the system is and how much is um, is going on under yeah. the surface. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, I would love to see that painting. Okay. Yeah, I'll find it. <laughs> yeah. Is this your first time making Tick art, Ailey? It is. Yeah, I wasn't sure how to draw a tick <laughs> when we started. Um, yeah, what do you think you would say it's like the most interesting like part of your research, Michelle? Like, what do you like wake up like, I'm gonna answer this question oh, today? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, the most interesting part. Um, I think the. Um, the, the interface between the tick and the host and the pathogen. So when a tick is biting a host and infecting that host with the pathogen, um, it's just very dynamic. There are, there's an incredible amount going on um, in that site. Um, both the tick and the pathogen can suppress the host immune system. Um, and they also work together to increase the transmission of, of the pathogen. Mm -hmm. um, I think the immune system is very interesting and uh the most complex um, part of, of infectious diseases. So it's uh, very cool to read about um, like the myriad of ways that that uh, both ticks and, and Borrelia can, can shut things down. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and I've, I've seen some of your like TikTok videos. You do a lot of TikTok videos mm -hmm. like talking about ticks. Um, they're like super informative and fun. So people should definitely check out. <laughs> um, but I feel like I can like uh, appreciate like ticks if I'm just like looking at them from like the safety of my mm -hmm. house in your videos uh, and I was wondering like what was uh, like the reason why you started making those videos um yeah well I I thought they would um 
probably do well because people like gross things or, you know, <laughs> it's, um, it's interesting to see something that you're uh, maybe afraid of or something that's kind of an invisible fear because you, you can't really see ticks mm-hmm. in the environment. So it's interesting to see them up close um, through research. Um, but tick prevention is, is just very important. And a lot of people um, uh, aren't informed um, because ticks are relatively new in a lot of areas, like here in the Lansing area. Um, ticks have um, gotten here in, in the last um, 10, five years or so. Um, so people aren't really familiar with what they should do for tick prevention. Yeah. Um, and it can make people scared to go outside and scared to go into the woods, um, which I think having a healthy fear and a, a healthy respect for the tick and, and um, how bad Lyme disease can be. But uh, if you're practicing very good tick prevention, I think you, you shouldn't be scared. And it makes me sad when people when people say they are. So um, I think it's very important to get the word out and to kind of reassure people that there are a lot of things you can do to, to keep the ticks off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's yeah, super important work. Like I'm, I'm from Brazil. So when I heard like for the first time about Lyme disease, I was terrified yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to go to the woods because ticks in Brazil... They, they don't transmit, like, a lot of diseases. So, like, sometimes you would just, like, run to, like, a tick's nest and your whole arm would be, like, covered in ticks. And it's mm-hmm. like, uh, this is annoying, but I guess it's fine. And yeah. here, like, a single one can be so deadly. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's yeah, it's very important to know what to do when, like, when you find one. And it's, like, not a big deal if you know the right protocol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess for my last question, yeah, I just wanted to know, because uh, you said that, like, the anthropogenic changes are probably in like land use change, habitat change are very important in like the ticks, like life cycle. And I feel like in the past years with like COVID and the pandemic, we've seen how like all these new diseases are like emerging. Like they're not new. They were just not like, uh, like getting in contact with human. Do you see something like similar maybe happening with like, ticks and like diseases on ticks like starting to like jump more to humans and like just new things showing up um yeah there are um uh you know rarer tick-borne diseases that are becoming more common um obviously Lyme disease prevalence is is just you know uh rapidly increasing um the bacteria has been present um, and the tick has been present here for a very long time um the the ticks um, in the Northeast kind of originated after the glaciers receded. That was kind of their refugia. So they've spread out from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's with the, um, you know, the densely aggregated people, um, just, um, the, an opportunity for them to come into contact with the tick. Um, yeah, it's definitely having, having a huge, huge impact. Yeah. And what are your just like quick like finishing tips for people that want to go in the woods but are a little scared and yeah sure I have lots of them um wearing insect repellent is an excellent way to keep ticks off um anything with DEET I will use anything with DEET um or anything FDA approved is what we would recommend to use um you can wear long pants and long sleeves um I know it's hot in the summer but you have to wear your your pros and cons and pick the the lesser of the two evils. Um, uh, you can tuck your socks into your pants um, because any kind of loose clothing the tick can crawl into. I always spray my boots and my socks because ticks are most likely to get 
on you, lower to the ground, and then crawl up. They don't actually ever come from above. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you find a tick on your head, it, it got on you, lower on your body. Um, trying to stay out of the the dense brush in the woods. Sometimes you have to do it for, for work or for, for field work and things. But if you stay in the middle of the trail, um, if you don't come into contact with any brush or leaf litter, then you're you're safe from the ticks. Um, and doing your tick check, very important. Just mm-hmm. do your tick check at the end of the day. Be thorough. Um, you know, it, if you pull the tick off at the end of the day, you're, you're going to be very safe. So um, if you're doing all those things, I do all those things with all the, and, you know, we're regularly going into tick-infested areas. Um, I feel I feel very safe all the time. And, um, yeah, I, I have found ticks on me and gotten rid of them. And, um, yeah, it's, it's um not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. I'll definitely feel like safer to be outside and maybe even like appreciate a little bit the whole complexity mm-hmm. of the life cycle of ticks. Yeah. Thank you so much for like yeah, answering all the questions, Michelle. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. It was me. a delight <laughs> to have you here. Uh, and thank you for listening to the Eve uh, Psychomic podcast. Thank you for listening to Eeb Psy Comic, an illustrated podcast created by and for the ecology, evolution, and behavior community. We invite you to check out our accompanying comic at eeb.msu.edu. The opinions shared on this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Eeb program. You can learn more by visiting our website or follow us, follow us on Twitter at eeb underscore msu. Visit Michelle's TikTok page at ticks of TikTok with an underscore between each word.